We really believe that our Old Testament overview helped people to become more comfortable with the Old Testament and to understand it better. And uh, we have sure been praying that that same thing is going to be true with our overview of the, Old Tes- of the New Testament as well. I mean, even though it is a newer book, even though it's, it's much shorter, I think most of us would admit there's a lot of it we don't understand and it's still a little bit intimidating. I mean, Philemon and Titus, I mean, who knows what's in those books and when it was written and who it was written to or who it was written by. So we're hoping we can answer some of those questions. And particularly we want to get a clear picture of Jesus during these two weeks that we look at his life as it's found in the Gospels. Um, it's important for us, if we are Christians, uh, to have a, an accurate picture of who Jesus is. I have found over the years that virtually every time that I have taught through one of the Gospels, I have found my own relationship with Jesus deepening so much and my uh, appreciation of and my belief in his power and his desire to, to be working in people's lives today. Uh, and if, if you're not yet a Christian, if you're still kind of examining Christianity, then it's really important for you to be able to get beyond some of the misconceptions about Jesus that society would present to us and uh, some of the false teachings and things that are said about him, that you can also get a clear picture of what these eyewitnesses to Jesus' life had to say about the him. So with that in mind, I want us to kind of just jump into the story that I've selected for today. The story we're going to be looking at takes place early in Jesus' ministry, and uh, it's found in Luke chapter 4. It's actually found in other Gospels as well, but I'm choosing for us to look at it from Luke chapter 4. Um, so you can maybe just listen as I read it to you, and then we're going to go back and look at the story in more detail. I'm going to start with verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do you do in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum? I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. And yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian 
All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Much of Jesus' um, ministry is conducted in Galilee. In fact, that's the area where he had grown up. Galilee is the northern area of Israel around the, the Sea of Galilee. It's a very hilly, uh, fertile, lush area in Israel. And it's, uh, it's there that Jesus has begun his public ministry, particularly centering it in the, around the town of Capernaum, which was a little village right at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And now Jesus is, um, is coming home to Nazareth for the first time. Nazareth is just a, a few miles from Capernaum. It's located in the, um, in the foothills and in, in, a, in a very beautiful area. And um, in fact, I've got a couple pictures to show you of uh, one of the hills in, um, in Nazareth. And Nazareth would be right down below this. In fact, this may be the, the hill that is actually talked about in this story that we were looking at. So you can see it's kind of a, a hilly area. We can look at the next slide as well. Um, and then it's just some beautiful fertile land below that. That's the area in which Jesus grew up and which he, in which he begins his public ministry. He's already become very um, popular. He's become kind of a local celebrity, both for the teachings that he was doing and through the miracles, particularly healing miracles, that Jesus had begun to perform. And so now he comes back to his uh, hometown of Nazareth, and uh, it must have been a pretty exciting time for them. It's the Sabbath day, the, the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and Jesus goes, as was his custom, to the synagogue. Now, we need to remember that there were two centers of religious life in Israel during the time of Jesus. One of them was the temple, which is located in the capital city of Jerusalem, which is way down in the southern part of Israel, fairly close to the Dead Sea. It was there that the temple was located, and it was there that all of the, the sacrifices were made. So we, we hear a lot about the sacrificial system in Israel. But remember that that all took place down in the temple. The temple was, you might say, owned and operated by the Sadducees, one of the two religious groups. And they were wealthy people uh, who sort of ran and made a lot of money out of the commerce that was going on in the temple. The other religious center were the synagogues, which would be like local congregations. And any village or town, whether it was in Israel or some other country, if there were ten adult Jewish men, they could have and probably would have a synagogue. So that would have been true in Nazareth as well, where Jesus grew up. There was a synagogue there. In fact, there's a synagogue in Nazareth today. We've got a picture that kind of shows the one today through that little doorway in the back that leads to the synagogue in Nazareth today. So it would have been in Nazareth that Jesus had worshipped God as he was growing up. The, the, the synagogues were controlled by the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. And so they had a strong emphasis on, on understanding, learning, memorizing, teaching the Old Testament that they called the Torah. And so it's in that local synagogue that Jesus would have been trained. It's there that they would have gone for where he would have gone to Hebrew school, learned Hebrew and learned to, uh, to read and to understand and even to memorize the Old Testament scriptures. 
So now Jesus comes again. Local boy comes home to the synagogue. And what an exciting event. I can just see people really being excited about this. They've been hearing all these things about Jesus as he's, because he's, uh, you know, left home and he's gone to begin this public ministry and now he's coming home. So they have on their Sabbath the, uh, the service, the worship service in the synagogue. It probably would have included some prayers that, uh, that were recited, led perhaps by the person who was leading in the service that day. They would have read a portion from the Pentateuch or the Torah, the, those first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. They perhaps sang a psalm. Remember the psalms were songs that were meant not just to be read but to be sung. And then there would be a teacher who would teach from the Old Testament each day. And so Jesus, as sort of the guest celebrity, was invited to do that. And so they give to Jesus the scroll that's to be read for that day. And it's the scroll of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a big book, 66 long chapters. So remember, this would have been not a book like, like our Bible. It was a scroll made of parchment that would be rolled up. And so to find the passage of Scripture you wanted would have been pretty difficult. Because remember, there were no chapter divisions then. It was not broken down by verses. Those things weren't added for more than a thousand years after that. So Jesus hunts through this scroll till he finds the place that he wants to read from that day, from the prophet Isaiah. Just shows how well Jesus probably knew the scriptures. And so he stands up to read the scriptures. Now, in the synagogue in those days, everyone stood up when the scripture was read. It was an act of worship, of reverence for God and for his word. And let me remind you again of what it is that that Jesus read to them that day. These are just these uh, couple verses, verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says, and we'll have them on the screen as well. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads it. He rolls up the scroll, he hands it back to the attendant, and he sits down. Because in those days, the person who was teaching sat down while everybody else stood. Uh, tradition, I've tried to get started here at Orchard for years uh, without any success. So, so Jesus reads the scripture and he sits down. And and every eye is fixed on him. You could hear a pin drop, I know. Have you ever been in a worship? You know, usually in the worship services, there's a good bit of noise going on. You know, little kids playing and adults squirming and, you know, just the kind of stuff that goes on. I remember one time especially where it seemed to me there was just this incredible hush. It took place a few years ago when I had invited one of our members, uh, Matt Strayer, who was an archer, to shoot at a target. Were any of you here then? We did it both here and in the community center. And so Matt stood way over there against that wall, and we had a target. And this was the target, so you can see it's pretty small. And the target was over... Um, against that wall. And so Matt stood over there and he um, he got his bow up, you know, and he's ready to shoot. I'll tell you, it was so quiet in here, I don't think people were even breathing. By the way, if you want to look at this, you can see that Matt hit the bullseye every time. Jesus now has read this scripture and every eye is fixed on him. He's sitting there and they're waiting. Hush 
falls over the crowd in the synagogue. And Jesus says one sentence, just one sentence, maybe the the shortest uh, sermon on record. He says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture from Isaiah, written 700 years ago, has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus? What was Jesus saying? You know, he was claiming to be this prophesied Messiah, the Son of God, whom God would send to do the very things that Isaiah talked about. Now, suddenly the mood begins to change. I mean, it's one thing to think of Jesus as a good teacher. I mean, that reflects well on our synagogue. He must have been trained well. But for him to be the Messiah, to claim to be the Messiah, oh, I mean, these people had known Jesus when he was growing up. Their kids had played with Jesus. They had probably bought a stool or a table from from Joseph and his son Jesus in their carpentry shop. Now for Jesus to be making this wild sort of claim, they don't like it. And Jesus, knowing you know what's going on in their minds, gives them a couple warnings. He says, all right, if, if you don't accept me, you know, God will go beyond you to the Gentiles, that's what he's saying. And he uses two Old Testament examples. One from Elijah, who at the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had led the people in idolatrous worship against God. And Elijah had prayed, and for three and a half years it didn't rain. Can we relate to that? Yeah. And so things were really dry, and Jesus sins Excuse me, God sends, Jesus sends, I guess we could say that. God sends Elijah to a widow from Sidon, and she is blessed. While all the people in Israel are dealing with this drought, she is blessed by God. And she was a Sidonian, and the Jews hated the Sidonians. And then he gives another example from Elijah. When all people in in Israel, so many of them were afflicted by leprosy, but none of them were cleansed except a Syrian general named Naaman. And Jesus is saying to them, if you don't accept what I'm saying, if you can't see the truth of who I am, you know, God will, will give this blessing to those beyond Israel, just as he did in the Old Testament. The, uh, the people are not very happy about this. And so the way it explains then the last part of this story is kind of a mystery. It says that they drove Jesus, you know, out of the synagogue, out of Nazareth, onto the precipice of a hill. Now remember, the Jews were not allowed by law to execute, to kill anyone. That's why three years later they would take Jesus to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate to have him executed. Not only that, it's a Sabbath day, and they are very concerned about these picky little laws of the Sabbath, which are all being violated by this act of mob violence. They take Jesus up to the precipice of a hill, maybe the one whose pictures we saw just a moment ago. And their intention is to push Jesus off, maybe maybe thinking that he would die just from the fall, because there, there are really some steep high, steep high cliffs at that point maybe thinking they would push him down and then stone him until he was dead. But it explains what happens in with just this one sentence. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I hope so much that during these two weeks, 
we can all gain a deeper appreciation for and love of Jesus and an understanding of who he, who he is. So I want us just to look at two things that this story teaches us about Jesus and about who he is. One of them is that Jesus is claiming to be God, the Messiah, the one that they had waited for. It is such a sad and ironic picture. You know, for generation after generation after generation. Remember, Isaiah lived 700 years ago. People had waited for God to send this servant, the Messiah, you know, the King, the Son of God. Generation after generation, you know, year after year, waiting, longing, praying that God would send this Messiah. And now Jesus stands before them and says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and they can't see it, and they can't accept it. Second thing that Jesus does is that he explains who the Messiah is and what he is like and what he had come to do. Jesus is saying that the reason he left heaven and came to earth was to do these very things that Isaiah had talked about. Remember what it said? Let me just read you those two verses again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, had come to preach good news to the poor. You know, virtually in every society, in every culture, in every religion, it's the rich who have access to God. It's the rich who have the, the, the best seats in the synagogue or in the temple. It's the rich who can afford to bring the really nice sacrifices, the animals, to be offered to God. You know, it's the rich who have the power and authority and the access to God. And Jesus says he has come, you know, to reach out to the poor, to the oppressed, that the, that the caste system no longer applies, that the people who are without the income and the land and the education and the influence are going to be welcomed by God. Secondly, he says he's come to bring uh, freedom to the prisoners. Just a couple of weeks ago, I went uh, to visit a young man from Orchard who is in prison. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a prison, just visiting or otherwise. And it's an amazing experience. You know, you park outside these really high, you know, stone walls that on the top of it are these, you know, coils of razor wire. And you leave everything in the car because you can't take anything in with you. And you hear those metal doors or steel doors, you know, thud locked behind you. you know. And in visiting with him, you know, I talked about, we talked about, you know, he's there for four and a half years and what it's like knowing that for the next four and a half years, he'll never be outside those walls. And he is a, he is a good young man who made a bad mistake. You know. And I, I am proud of him. I am proud of the way he's handling his imprisonment. I'm proud uh, to be his friend. Jesus says those forgotten, marginalized people in society, those who are imprisoned, you know, I've come to proclaim freedom. How many people are behind bars of their own making, you know, entrapped, enslaved, imprisoned by addictions, by secrets that they carry praying that no one will ever find out but which they can never set down jesus says you know i came to pro- to proclaim you know release for the captives he says he came to bring s- sight to the blind how many 
people did Jesus heal physically and give them sight. Uh, people who had been born blind, imagine that. People who had never seen blue or orange or gold, who had never seen a sunrise. Jesus touches them and gives sight to them for the first time in their lives. And what is the first sight they see? They look and they see the smiling face of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus says, so many blind people who can't see, and I came to bring them sight. Freedom for the oppressed, release for the oppressed. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in spirit, and you'll find rest for your souls. And then Jesus says this amazing final thing from Isaiah. He says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what that means? And this is really important. It's a technical term that refers to the event in the Old Testament that was called the year of Jubilee. The Jewish life was built around a cycle of sevens. Six days in the week that you worked, the seventh was the Sabbath, the day of rest. Six years you would plant your fields, the seventh year was a Sabbath, the land would not be planted, you know, it was a year of rest and celebration. And then every week of weeks, every seven times seven, in the 49 years you've done all these things and the 50th year comes. And it's the year of Jubilee. A lot of things can go wrong, can't they, in 50 years? There would have been a lot of people who would have had to sell the land that God had given to them. You remember that God divvied up the land in Israel by tribe, by, by, uh, by tribes and by clans and by families, and that land was to stay with them. Maybe you had to sell it because you had a few years of bad crops. People would actually sell themselves into slavery just so they would have a roof over their heads and food to eat. People would get in debt and have no way out. And then the year of Jubilee would come. And the beginning of the year, the horns, it says, would be blown all over Israel, proclaiming the the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. And all of the land would go back to its original owners. And the prisoners would be set free and the debts would be forgiven and the slaves, you know, would be emancipated. The year of Jubilee. And the Messiah says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This year of blessing and celebration. And the, the terrible thing is that many scholars believe that never, ever once in the history of Israel did they celebrate the year of Jubilee. And if they did at all, it had been generations and generations ago and this, this beautiful picture of God's heart has long ago been forgotten. And Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee, the new beginning, the new start, the new life, when all the past mistakes and failures can be put away and we can all come to God fresh. I love... Uh, I love this description of Jesus. I love this picture of the heart of God. I believe that there's no other religion, no other God in the world, in the history of the world, like this, like our God. A God of such mercy and love who reaches out to the poor and the oppressed and the imprisoned and those who failed and those who are weary and tired. What an amazing God. 
sometimes when we sing together in our worship services, the song, This Is Our God, it, uh, it literally, not literally, it figuratively drives me to my knees. It breaks me when I think about a God like that. Remember those words? A refuge for the poor, a shelter from the storm. This is our God. He'll wipe away your tears and return your wasted years. This is our God. A father to the orphan, a healer to the broken. He brings peace in our madness and comfort in our sadness. This is our God. This is the one we've waited for, Jesus, Lord and Savior. This is our God. A fountain for the thirsty, a lover for the lonely. This is our God. He brings glory to the humble and crowns for the faithful. This is our God. So call upon his name. He is faithful to save. This is our God. Jesus stood before his friends and neighbors in, in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Lord God, this picture of your heart in sending your son Jesus to be the Messiah, sending him with that mission to be your heart and hands, love in the world. Thank you so much. May we know what kind of a God you are. May we know what kind of a person you were, Jesus. You showed us what people should be like. You showed us what God is like. We pray in your holy name. Amen.